Good morning, church. You can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Steve, before you head back to children's ministry, thank you for sharing. Um, so grateful for your, yeah, can we thank Steve one more time? I'm so grateful for Steve's transparency, uh, especially um, telling us he needed the gospel to transform his attitude towards work. Uh, by the way, he mentioned how he benefited from the faith and work Bible and book studies. We'd love to have you join us for one of those. We're just finishing a study this Friday, but we'll start a new one in April. We'll announce that, and you can join us on Friday mornings early at 7 a.m. Via, via Zoom. I mention that because in the very first sermon in this faith and work series, Jared, he called us as a church to look at work as a, to view our work as discipleship, as growing as disciples. And so with that in view, we want to grow as disciples in our workplace. And so we have two faith and work seminars planned. One in the spring on April 22nd, that's a Saturday. And one in the fall on September 23rd, also a Saturday. They'll be Saturday morning and you'll be getting more information about that. So please check those out and put those dates on your calendar. The title of my sermon this morning is Working for Jesus. I woke up this morning, opened my eyes, and the very first thought I had is, I get to preach Jesus this morning. And then I walked into my office, and this is what I said out loud. Something's going to happen here today. Because the Spirit of God is going to fill us, and he's going to point us to Jesus. We're going to see him yet again, and we're going to treasure him. And that's what we're going to see in two verses here in Colossians chapter 3. And as we look at this text, this is what we will see. This is what we will learn. Knowing we work for Jesus changes everything. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word. I started a faith and work group Bible and book study here at Covenant Fellowship eight years ago because I brought into pastoral ministry a heart and desire to equip the church for the challenges that Christians face in the workplace. You see, before I was in ministry, I worked for a pharmaceutical company. I, I was in sales and in management. Yes, I, I sold drugs for a living. <laughs> and to our law enforcement members, it was, it was legal. It was legal work on my part. However, my motivation for selling drugs was all about me. See, I wanted to sell drugs and be successful at my job because I was selfishly ambitious. I was wanting to succeed, to do the corporate climb and get the next promotion so that I could live for me and my fame rather than doing my work for Christ and his fame. Now, there's nothing wrong with Christians being successful in the workplace. We need all Christians to be successful at work, but for me, success was an idol. I was more devoted to my success than I was devoted to Jesus. And what I needed is what Steve needed. I needed 
gospel transformation. The gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that not only saved me, I needed to transform my worldview so that I would stop living for myself and as Steve talked about, start living for Christ. See, that's what we see here in Colossians 3, verse 23. Paul begins with three words, whatever you do. And he used those same words just a few verses earlier in verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, the gospel, it transforms our worldview so that whatever we do, we do everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. So in keeping with the high Christology of this letter, it is that Christ-centered worldview that we must have in our hearts and our minds as we look at these two verses that address the topic of work. To say it another way, knowing we work for Jesus changes everything. Three things regarding work. Number one, we work for the Lord. Did you see that there in verse 23? Whatever you do, work heartily as for who? As for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, whether you are a lawyer or you work at Wawa, you're a plumber or a dentist, you work in IT like Steve or you build houses, whether you're an engineer or you're a stay-at-home mom, and if you're a stay-at-home mom, you work harder than all of us, whatever you do, you work for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, your work matters, matters very much, but what matters even more is who you do your work for. You work for Jesus. You work for the one. As chapter one, verse 16 says, created all things. None of your earthly bosses have done that, right? You work for the one, you serve the one who is before all things, who holds all things together, who as chapter one, verse 18 declares, he, Jesus, is preeminent over everything. See, whatever you do, you work for Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, to work for Jesus means that we have our, our hearts and our minds set upon him with a laser focus so that whatever we do, he is the central object of our devotion. See, see, our workplaces are this. Our workplaces, whether they're homes or college campuses or offices or building sites, they, they are arenas of worship where we can make much of Christ in what we do each and every day. Think, think, about, think about it this way. Jesus is the perfect boss. Jesus is the boss you always wanted. Jesus gets the boss of the year award every year, hands down, for eternity. That's who he is. And knowing that you work for Jesus changes everything, even when you work for a difficult boss. See, right now, some of you are in that situation. You are working for a difficult supervisor. And so what does a Christian do in that situation? A starting point is actually in verse, verse 22 that says to us, obey in everything those who you are your earthly masters, doing your work with sincerity, because by doing so, you honor the Lord. See, if your boss isn't asking you to sin, then you should 
Do what he asks or she asks you to do. You should follow their direction, doing your work well, showing respect to your boss, even when your boss doesn't show respect to you. During the series, we received several testimonies, one from JoLynn Smith, and this is what she says. I love my job as the food service director for a senior living community in Newark, feeding over 200 residents and staff. I reported directly to the executive director, and since I've been serving there for 20 years, I'd seen different directors come and go. But one director was particularly difficult to work with. She was brash, unprofessional, and demeaning. On one occasion, during one of our morning, daily morning meetings in her office, she asked, she asked us, was anyone offended when she used curse words? And Joe Lynn said that she was. No one else in the room spoke up. And her boss began to mock Joe Lynn, calling her the princess. It was near Christmas, and her boss decided that Joe Lynn needed to work on Christmas Day. She says, given my seniority and because we were fully staffed on Christmas Day, I shouldn't have had to work, but I went in and worked as scheduled. So thank you, Jolynn, for living out verse 22. Yes, during that same time, during that same time period, my husband and I were co-leading a bridge group with the Farleys. And during the bridge retreat at Black Rock, several members of the prophecy came, team came to minister to me, and I was surprised when Lila Knox prayed over me. And she said, the Lord saw me at work and that he knows how difficult it is. JoLynn said, just reminding me that the Lord saw me there at my work, it changed everything. JoLynn continued to work for this difficult director. She says her husband, Bill, prayed for her. They prayed together for her supervisor and for that difficult work situation. Then JoLynn says this. I guess what really it came down to is that I view my job as a ministry. See, JoLynn had an, a, a keen understanding that she worked for Jesus. So if you're right now working for a difficult boss, knowing that you work for Jesus and knowing that he sees you in your difficult situation, it can change everything. And if that's you, by the way, do what Bill and Joe Lynn did. Pray for your boss. Pray for their family. If they're not a Christian, pray for their salvation. But would it have been wrong for Joe Lynn to leave that job because of that difficult boss? Not necessarily. That's because the stories in our Bible show us that people worked for other difficult people and others chose not to work for difficult people and God used both. So we see that Joseph worked for Pharaoh, a pagan ruler in a pagan land and Joseph's hard work in preparing for the famine saved thousands of lives. However, it was 400 years later when Moses decided not to be a part of another Pharaoh's house, giving up those privileges, and God used him to save thousands of lives. See, Scripture gives you freedom in deciding whether you are to continue to work for a difficult boss or not. The important thing is that whatever you prayerfully decide, you walk through it in a way that honors Jesus. But what if, what if your boss is okay, but you just got a really difficult work situation, difficult work environment? Should you stay there as a Christian? Should you leave? 
Well, let, me get, let's, let me give you a couple of biblical categories you can think about as you answer that question. First of all, Scripture instructs Christians to engage in our culture, even in difficult circumstances. We see that in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. So God sends his people into exile, and in those difficult circumstances, they were to work alongside of ungodly people for the good of the city that they were in. See, a part of God's good sovereign plan is God calls Christians to work alongside non-Christians for the good of society itself. So here's a question you, you can ask yourself. Can I remain faithful to do my work with integrity, even in a difficult work environment. If you can, then you could stay. However, if you can't do your work with integrity, or you somehow are being required to, to sin in your job, then you may need to leave. Let, let me just give you one other biblical category to, to think about. I'm gonna put it in the form of a question. Has God placed you in your difficult work environment because he wants to use you to temper or restrain evil. I say that because in 1 Corinthians 18, Obadiah worked in Ahab's court. We all know Ahab was probably one of the most evil kings of Israel. And Obadiah, as the palace manager, took great risk by hiding the prophets that Ahab wanted to kill, and he saved lives. God used him that way. But it was also in 1 Corinthians 18 that Elijah decided not to be a part of Ahab's court, and he restrained evil by protesting against it as he brought judgment on Ahab. So God used Ahab. Obadiah in a difficult work, work situation, and Elijah outside of it to restrain evil. So because each of your, different, of your work situations is different, Scripture gives you freedom to decide whether you to remain in a difficult work situation or not. The thing is, walk through it in a biblically informed way. By the way, if you're a stay-at-home mom, God can use you to restrain evil. Now, I'm not talking about the evil in your kids, all right? <laughs> when our girls were in middle school, Jill volunteered at Lionville Junior High School. And she volunteered in the library. We just wanted to get to know the teachers and the staff there to build relationships with them. And one of Jill's jobs at that library was the, the librarian would give her a list of books that she was to order. So Jill would look down this list, and where she saw any ungodly or evil book, she forgot to order it. <laughs> Moms are a powerful tool to restrain evil in the hands of a righteous God. Okay, second thing we learn about work. Number two, we work heartily. Knowing who we work for, it impacts, it influences how we do our work. You saw that there in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. Why? Because we work for Jesus and not for men. We are to be people who work heartily because we serve Jesus. Now, Jared talked a, a lot about this last week in his sermon, but Christians are to put all of their effort into our work. We're not to be distracted. We're to do our work with integrity and with excellence. We're not to be known as those people who just mail it in, do the bare minimum, and pick up the paycheck and go home. 
Christians aren't known, supposed to be known for that. Rather, we are to do our work well because we work for Jesus and we represent Jesus in the workplace. But what do you do when your job is demanding, especially in an online world where you're always on? and work through texts and emails and things like Slack. It seems to impinge upon every moment of your life. How do you balance family, work, church, and rest? Well, I've gotta be honest, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this word balance because I just don't think life works that way. In fact, this week on, on Tuesday, when I was working on this exact point, I had a balanced day planned. I did some sovereign grace work. I had sermon prep blocked. We had community group that night, so I'm doing my church responsibility. It was Valentine's Day. After I was getting time with Jill, I had a balanced day planned. And when I was working on this point, chaos ensued. So while I'm working and doing this point on balance, I get a text from Dave Taylor, our director of global missions, and he's saying there's something urgent happening in another nation that you need to know about now. So we text back and forth and he informs me. I go back to working on my sermon and another Sovereign Grace leadership team member texts me. He needs clarification on a schedule issue in June because he's been invited to speak at a major conference in the Dominican Republic and he needed to get back to the conference sponsor that day. So I took care of that and did that. So I go back to my sermon prep and Jill comes running into my home office and she says, the, the, the engine light on the car is blinking and the engine is running rough, I called Danny, Danny Lee here is a mechanic, we gotta get it in right now. So we get the car in, we take care of that, I go back to working on my sermon, and my sister texts me. My mom had just had hip surgery, uh, re hip replacement surgery, she's in a rehab center, she's being discharged, we need to work out the care that we, we're going to provide for her. All of that happened in a matter of just a couple of hours. I didn't feel balanced at all. I felt imbalanced. I just wanted to get in bed, pull the covers over my eyes, get in a fetal position, go to sleep, and hopefully when I woke up, everything was sorted out in the morning. <laughs> do you ever feel that way? Yeah, you do. My point is, is that we can't live with the illusion that we're gonna dial in the right balance for our lives. And when things get out of whack and trying to balance family, work, church, and rest, we can be vulnerable to, the, to think that those things are actually opposed to one another when actually God calls us to be faithful in each of them. So how do we think about balance? Well, because we work for Jesus, let's think about balance using terms he uses. Those two terms are faithful and fruitful. Faithful and fruitful. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, Jesus commends those who were faithful with the talents they had been given, and he gave them more to steward. He gave them more responsibility. And then we find in John chapter 15, the, the parable of the branch and the vine, he says in, in verse 5 that if we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear not just fruit, we will bear much fruit. So in trying to figure out balance, faithfulness and fruitfulness are helpful categories because we're called to be faithful and fruitful in every area of our life, in our home, in our work, church, and with rest. 
So you can ask yourself this question, am I being faithful in the areas of responsibility of home, work, church, and rest? Am I being fruitful in those areas? And in answering those questions, you gotta make sure you're doing the right things. This is something I've been thinking about for my own life recently, and I was convicted by this quote. It says, the curious thing is the righter you do the wrong thing, the wronger you become. If you're doing the wrong thing and you make a mistake and correct it, you become wronger. (laughs) So it's better to do the right thing wrong than the wrong thing right. Right? Right. Make sure you're doing the, the right things. So in trying to live a balanced life, know you will need to make adjustments. There will be times when you have to give more time to work so you can be fruitful there. But there will also be times when you need to give more time to family to be faithful there. And if you really want help, if you really want to make the right adjustments, sit down with your spouse. They'll give you some good input. And then go to your community group and sit down with them and help them Let them help you work through those questions. In fact, I would say to community group leaders, devote a meeting to this sometime in the next few months and help one another grow in being fruitful and faithful in the areas of responsibility God has given us. By the way, faithfulness and fruitfulness will look different for different families. It will look different for different people in different seasons of life. So don't determine your faithfulness and fruitfulness by comparing yourself to others. That will not be a helpful exercise. But let me ask this question. What does it mean to be faithful and fruitful with rest? Now, I want to be totally honest. I am totally unqualified to answer this question. (laughs) I, I have trouble resting. I can think like certain species of sharks, the great white shark, for example, that has to keep moving or it dies. That's how I relate to life. If I don't keep moving... I will die. So all, to all my fellow great white shark brothers and sisters who have that mindset, what it means to be faithful is that we actually take time to rest. And here's the good news, we will not die. God established a rhythm at creation, six days to work and one day to rest. We were created to work and rest, and when we try to do one without the other, we are rejecting this good rhythm God gave us at creation. How do you know if you're being fruitful in your rest? Again, I I don't have any idea. (laughs) But here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter two, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath, which means, as Dan Doriani says in his book on work so well, that God designed the Sabbath for the flourishing of humanity. That means that you can use your gifts to serve people in the church, and that can strengthen and replenish your soul. It also means that whatever refreshes and replenishes you physically and mentally, whether that's a nap or a workout, that you should do. See, if we don't take a Sabbath rest that is designed for human flourishing, then we will not be prepared for Monday morning to do our work, which God also designed for human flourishing. Okay, third thing about work. Number three, we work for the eternal reward. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing This is something we know. This is something we're certain about, knowing that from the Lord 
you will receive the inheritance as your reward. We are to work heartily for Jesus because we know there is a day coming when Jesus will actually reward us with an inheritance. But how does the work that we do in this temporal life connect to the rewards we will receive in the life to come? I think Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 15, verse 16. Again, the the branch and the vine parable. He says this, you did not choose me. Aren't we glad for that? But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should abide. Abide meaning it never goes away. Abide meaning that it lasts. Abide meaning that you carry it into eternity with you. And so your temporal work, it actually is storing up for you treasures in heaven. John Bunyan says, whatever good thing you do for him is laid up for you as treasures in chests and coffers to be brought out, to be rewarded before both men and angels to your eternal comfort. See, knowing we work for Jesus and knowing that Jesus will one day reward us, it changes everything. It means that there is nothing that you do that is mundane in this life. Whether it's the mom who changed the fifth diaper of the day or the lawyer who files the brief or the electrician who wires the house, everything you do for Jesus is storing up for you eternal rewards that Jesus is eager to give you. Even when your boss or maybe your kids seem ungrateful for the work you do, there is one who is eager to say to you on that day, well done. See, there will be a day when you and I will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we've used the gifts and abilities that he's given us to do the work he has appointed us to to do, John chapter 15. So with that great day in view, how do you know what God's called you to do? That's a real important question for our youth, for those who are thinking about their future, or for our college students. Or maybe you're right now going through a career change and you're wrestling with that question, what has God called me to do? We see in scripture that God gives us gifts and abilities that we're to use for human flourishing. Certainly Joseph had leadership and organizational skills to to prepare for the famine in, in Egypt. Exodus 36 verse 2 tells us that Bezalel was a skilled craftsman who took part with other craftsmen in building the tabernacle. In the New Testament, we see that Luke is a physician, Peter's a fisherman, Paul made tents, Lydia knew how to sell the purple goods that she made. I mean, just a brief survey of scripture tells us that there is no trade or vocation that is superior over another trade and vocation. God uses all of them to fulfill the creation mandate, and it leads to human flourishing, which is why you have freedom to to decide and determine what God has called you to do. So, back to the question, what has God called you to do? Here's some questions maybe help you to pray through that question and trying to answer it first. Do you have a desire or an ability that lets you meet a need? Two, is there anything that you notice or others have noticed that you're good at and even enjoy doing? What gifts and abilities has God given you and do others agree and see that? 
What work do you enjoy doing even if you weren't paid for it? Tom Nelson in his book on work says, the kind of work we like to do is an indicator of the work we were created to do. Now, if you work through those questions and you still don't have clarity on what God's called you to do, here's the best thing you can do. Work. Get jobs and work. Because people often find clarity in what God's called them to do through work experience. Another testimony we received was from Greg Hyatt during this series. Greg uh, sent us a, a story about him and his late wife, Barbara, and their work experience. We miss Barbara. Greg says that in high school, Barbara wanted to be a nurse, and so she got a bachelor's degree at the University of Delaware, and through her education in clinical work, she, she found that she had a particular interest and heart for psychiatric nursing. And so she went on to earn a master's degree in psychiatric nursing. She joined the nursing faculty at the University of Delaware. She taught students. And then she practiced nursing clinically in psychiatric facilities in Delaware. However, Barbara grew uncomfortable with the growing secular pressures on college campuses. And so she pondered making a career change. And so she and Greg prayed through that together, and through a series of God-ordained events, God led Barbara to, stat, to, start her, uh, to, to start to begin to work in a Christian counseling practice where she worked for several years. And through a series of events there, she, she really wrestled, should I start my own practice? And through, again, a number of God-ordained events that the Lord led them through, Barbara started her own private Christian counseling practice in Chad's Ford, where she worked and served her patients very well until she died. But during that time, this is what she told Greg. This is my calling in life in serving the Lord. Greg's career journey had parallels to Barbara's. In high school, he knew he wanted to be an architect, so he went to Clemson, got a college degree, moved back home, became licensed, worked for an architectural firm in Westchester, and then through a series of God-ordained events and steps of faith on Greg's part, he started his own architectural firm where he worked for 35 years until he retired his firm. See, I tell you that story because note how both Barbara and Gray gained clarity on what God had called them to do simply by working and depending on the Lord in prayer. Greg ended his story saying this, Barbara and I have been richly blessed by the Lord, leading, by the Lord's leading in our work experiences over the course of our lifetimes. And I can only trust that as each of you turn to Jesus, in seeking God's will for your own work experience, he will guide you as well in a step-by-step -step fashion toward a joyful, productive, and meaningful outcome in the service of his everlasting kingdom. Greg's right. The Lord, who you work for, he will guide you step-by-step helping you choose a vocational path, making even a career change. Because as Greg says so well, the Lord wants to use you in the ever advancement of his kingdom. Let me close with this. Verse 24 doesn't tell us specifically of the treasures that Jesus will reward us on that day. But scripture does tell us that the greatest reward that we will receive on that day is Jesus himself. 
In the parable of the talents, Jesus said this to the faithful stewards who had, who had taken their talents and used them well. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, well done. Don't you look forward to hearing that from the Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then Jesus says this. Enter into the joy of your master. See, our greatest reward for working for Jesus is on that day we are going to actually enter into the joy of Jesus. Jesus will be our greatest reward. And so as we end this Faith and Work series, brothers and sisters, let us keep Jesus at the center of all we do so that whatever we do in our homes and in our workplaces, we do it for Jesus and we do it for his glory because he is the preeminent one and therefore only he is worthy. Knowing we work for Jesus changes everything. Amen.